0: What do I do in this church? What do I do in this church? That is the question that I want to challenge us with this morning as we begin this study from God's Word. For those of you who are members of this congregation, the Monte Vista Church of Christ, I want to challenge all of us to think about this question right now what do i do in this church many of you know that every year at around thanksgiving my family and i we go back to our home state of of texas we usually go right to east texas but this year we decided to do things a little bit different instead of going right to east texas where we are from we decided to spend a few days staying with my biological mom in in houston texas one of my brothers was was getting married and he wanted me to perform the ceremony ceremony he wanted me to to work during my my week of vacation but to his credit and to the credit of my other brothers they did reward me by taking me to a, to a football game. Many of you know that I'm a huge uh, Washington Reds commander. Let me get that right, Washington Commanders fan. I've been, been for over 30 years now, and they were in town playing the Texas, and two of my brothers took me to the game, and, and we had pretty good seats, and we ate nachos and hot dogs and potato chips, and we shouted, and. And laughed and high-fived and monitored our fantasy football teams during the game. And we even had Genesia and Faith text us during the game and tell us that they saw us on, on, on live TV. We really had a good time at the game. And that's exactly what was supposed to happen, right? That's exactly what we should have expected to happen attending Something like that. You see, as human beings, whenever we attend a football game or a Suns game or or a Diamondbacks game or a play or a movie or, or or a concert, we should expect to have a good time. We should expect to be entertained. We should expect to be able just to just to kick back and, and relax and enjoy all of of the action. Those are the kind of expectations we should have. When it comes to things like that, but here's my question this morning. My question is, should we have those same kind of expectations when it comes to this right here? When it comes to assembling with other saints to worship and even being part of a local church. How would the Apostle Paul answer that question? Well, let's go in our Bibles to Romans, please. When you go in your Bible to Romans chapter 12, I want to show you what the Apostle Paul says about this as he writes to a church in the book of Romans. He's writing to to a local church in the city of Rome. And in Romans, the 12th chapter, and in verse number 4, in verse 4, Paul says, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members... Do not have the same function so we who are many are one body in christ and individually members one of another since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us Each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, what is the Apostle Paul? What is he? What is he emphasizing there in those verses? What is he teaching us? What is he saying to us? Well, before we point out what Paul is saying in those verses, let's first point out some things that he does not say. First notice that Paul does not say that being part of a local church is like going to a football game. He doesn't say it's like going to a son's game or to a concert or to the movie theater. He doesn't say that God wants us to be to be customers or merely spectators and observers or people who just come in here and fill fill our favorite pew and put a check in the collection basket and listen to some sermons and some Bible classes. Paul says that being part of a local church goes beyond that kind of stuff. It doesn't involve merely doing those kinds of things. Instead, what Paul says is being part of a church involves. Well, it involves being involved. It involves being a worker and a contributor. It involves diligently seeking to be an active part of the body. That's what Paul is saying there in those verses. And the question is, do we understand that? Do I understand that? Do you understand that? If you are a member of this church, do you understand that there's work for you to do in this church? You understand that? Do you understand that if you're a young person? If you're a young person, if you're a young Christian or disciple, do you understand that there's work for you to do in this church? Do you understand this if you are a senior saint? If you're a seasoned disciple, maybe even a retired disciple, do you understand that there's still work for you to do in this church? If you are a woman, if you are a faithful sister, if you are a new convert, if you are a new member in this church, if you're someone who may not have the best health right now, do you understand that there's still work for you to do in this church? And that is something, my friends, that you're having a hard time understanding right now then for the next few minutes I want to I want to do my best to help you understand that I want to help you understand it from the word of God now that we've spent the last few months talking about the work of shepherds or elders in the church and the work of deacons in the church and even the work of preachers in the church today I want to wrap up this short sermon series By talking about you. I want to talk about the work of you in the church. I want to talk about how there is work to do for every single member in the church. I want to show you very clearly that while you may not be a shepherd in the church, while you may not be a deacon in the church, while you may not be a preacher in the church, there's still a lot of important work for you to do In the church, in fact, this morning, I want to offer you five very specific works that every member, that every person, I don't care who you are, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I want to give you five things that every Christian can do in the church right here and right now. And the first one should be pretty obvious to us. The first one, we've already been doing it today. It's the work of the work of worshiping, the work of just gathering with other Christians. To worship God and his son, Jesus, the Christ. Jesus talks about worship in a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well in John chapter 4 and verse number 24. Remember, Jesus talks about worship. He says, God is a spirit. And those who worship him. Must worship him in spirit. That's from your heart. With passion, zeal, concentration. We got to worship God in spirit and also in truth. That means we got to worship God, not just in any way we desire, but we got to do it his way. We got to worship according to the prescription or the pattern he's given us in his word. We must worship God in spirit and truth. We find the early Christians doing that very thing. Remember Acts 2, after we read about those 3,000 people in Jerusalem who obeyed the gospel, they repented of their sins and they were baptized for the remission of their sins and added to the church. The first thing we learn about that early church is that they worshiped. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, studying the scriptures, studying revelation from God, enjoying fellowship, spiritual fellowship, communion, Sharing, joint participation in a spiritual relationship, the breaking of bread, taking the Lord's Supper, and in prayers, talking with God together. The first thing we learn about the church is the church worshiped. The church in Jerusalem worshiped God together, and that pattern continues throughout the New Testament. You should have noticed Acts 20, verse 7 in your Bible reading. Remember Paul, his way to Jerusalem, delays his journey delays his journey when he gets to Troas because on the first day of the week he wants to gather with other Christians. He wants to worship. He wants to take the Lord's Supper and, and, and preach and teach the Word of God. And then go in your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians 14, I think we get a little snapshot of what was going on in the Corinthian congregation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and in verse number 26, in verse number 26, Paul says... What is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble, gather together in one place like we're doing right now? When you assemble, each has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue. There were miraculous spiritual gifts in the church at this time. Has an interpretation of that tongue. And then Paul says that all things be done for edification. A lot we could say about that verse, but for the purpose of this study, notice... Notice how Paul tells us that 2,000 years ago in the city of Corinth, the brethren there did what we're doing right now. They assembled. They gathered together. They gathered together to sing and to teach and to exercise spiritual gifts and edify one another as a spiritual body. And all of these verses here and in so many others we learn that God requires, he requires Christians to assemble. He requires them to come together. He requires that they gather together on this day, the first day of the week, so that they can do the work of worshiping him. So that they can sing and pray and learn. And give and remember the Lord's death by taking the Lord's Supper and so they can encourage each other and so they can edify and build up and strengthen and help one another in the faith when you go into your Bible please to Hebrews 10 you know I'm going to these passages for those of you who are in the Hebrews class these passages are probably still fresh in your mind right now remember Hebrews 10 look at verse 23 and Hebrews the 10th chapter And in verse number 23, the Hebrew writer says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he, God, who promised is faithful. Now look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking, and here's that language is again, our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but what? Encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice how, in addition, in addition to worshiping, gathering to worship, in addition to that being the time where we honor God, we praise God, we worship God, in addition to doing those things when we come together, this time is also a time when we encourage each other, when we serve each other, when we build up each other, when we strengthen each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. It is not a time. Where we view ourselves as merely spectators it is not a time where as soon as we walk into the door on Sunday we're, 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 we're thinking we're thinking like customers we walk through the door and we're and we're thinking like consumers we want the, the song leader to, to sing our favorite songs today And we want the preacher to preach on our favorite topics, and we're gonna be mad if we come in here and somebody is sitting in our pew. That kind of stuff is nonsense. That's garbage. That's selfish. It's not Christ like, it's not in harmony. With what the Bible says needs to be in the mind and the heart of a New Testament, New Testament Christian. According to these verses, God says that this time we are together is a time where we all need to be doing something. We need to be doing something for him. We need to be doing something for Jesus. We need to be doing something for the Holy Spirit. We need to be doing our best when we come in here to concentrate in our worship. And to sing out and sing loud. And to give back sacrificially and to remember the Lord's death and to reflect and listen and learn and grow and be aware of the Lord's presence. This time we are together is a time when we do so many good things for our God. But not only do we do good things for our God, during this time we also do good things for each other. We also do good things for the people sitting next to us in the pew this morning. And the people sitting in front of us and the people sitting behind us and the people on the other side of uh, of the building. We also do some good things for our young people here and for the new Christians here. And for the leaders of this church, we do good things for the elders by being here and for the deacons. And, and you're doing good things for me right now as as the preacher. You see, by you just being here this morning, you're doing so much good for every single person in the room. You are doing so much good for every brother and sister in Christ. You are letting by you just being here this morning and worshiping God with all your heart. You are letting every Christian in this room know that they're not alone in this battle against the devil. You're letting every Christian know that you are with them. You're helping our worship be better today. You have helped the singing be better today. You're helping the preacher be, preaching be better. You're helping the giving being better. You're helping the prayers the partaking of the Lord's Supper. The more Christians who assemble together in this place to worship God, the more edified we all are. The more encouraged we are, the more built up we are. Let me tell you something. I am more edified when I worship with 20 Christians than I am with 10. And I'm more edified when I worship with 50 than 20. And I'm more edified when I worship with 100 than 50. And I'm more edified when I worship than with 150 over 100. And more edified when I worship with 200 than 150. Every time, every time we just make an effort to come here and worship God with all of our hearts and be reverent and passionate, we're doing something so good. We're doing something good for our God and from each other, and that's the work that we all can do. We all can do the work of worshiping our God, but not only do we need to do the work of worshiping, let's add to that by talking some more about the work of encouraging. The work of encouraging. Now, the Hebrew writer mentioned encouragement in verse number 25 of Hebrews 10, but I want to take you to another passage now, too. I'm thinking about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and in verse number 12. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 12, Paul says, but we request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you. They're talking about the shepherds, the elders in the church and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other, with one another. Verse 14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage. Encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. But how Paul says, we all have a responsibility to be involved in the work of encouragement. The work of encouragement was not just reserved for disciples like Barnabas. No, we all need to be involved in the work of encouragement. The idea of encouraging each other means that we support each other. We build up each other. We comfort each other. We aid and help one another. Let me ask you something. Are there a lot of people in this church who need that, you think? You think there are people in this church who need some encouragement right now? If you don't think that there are are people who need encouragement in this church, then you're definitely not reading the family talk right now. Listen to the family talk or read the family talk. Listen to the announcements. Go to the website. Read the information on the website there. You're going to see that right now in this church, we got a lot of people going through some things. They're going through some problems. we got people in this church who are battling cancer. And they're having treatments and surgeries and tests and therapies. And they're struggling with COVID. And they're struggling with broken bones. And mental health. And anxiety and they recently lost loved ones and they got sick family members and a whole host of other problems in their in their lives. There's so many of God's people here in this place who are going through trials and problems right now. And my friend, you, you, you can do something for those people. You can do something for those people right now in your life. You can encourage them. You can encourage them. Now, how do you encourage them? Well, let's start with this. Let's start by appreciating this little device right here. You got one of these? This is my wife's here, so don't let this fool you. This ain't, this ain't mine, okay? I left mine in my office, okay? So don't get no ideas here. This is my wife's. But I have one, okay? And I'm pretty sure you have one, too. And you know what we can do with this beyond just checking the the scores in the game and playing games on them and taking selfies of ourselves beyond doing that kind of stuff, you know what we can do with this? We can actually make calls with it. <laughs> we can call somebody who needs encouragement. We can text words of encouragement. We can email words of encouragement. And if you don't Like doing that? If you don't want to use technology, go go old school with it and write a card. Put it in the mail. We have people here, don't we, who are very good about that. May God bless those people. Write a card. Write words of encouragement. Put it in the mail. Offer to visit people. Sit with them. Pray with them. Offer a new convert or a new member the blessing to To be able to take them out to lunch, maybe after services today, go to a shepherd in this church, go to a deacon in this church, go to a Bible class teacher or a song leader and just let them know verbally that you appreciate them. Tell them that you appreciate the good things they're doing in the kingdom of God. That's how we can encourage people. It's not hard. It's not hard to be nice and try to help people. And let people know we appreciate them. In fact, you know where all this really starts here? It really starts with just being unselfish. It really starts with taking off the bib and putting on the apron. It really starts with having a mind like Jesus, a mind where I'm seeking to be aware of the sufferings and problems of others. And I'm doing whatever I can within my power to help alleviate the pain of the people I'm supposed to love. We all can do this. We all can do the work of worshiping and the work of encouraging. And let's add to our list the work of teaching. The work of teaching. I want to show you a couple of different passages here to make the point. I'm going to Ephesians 4. These are some verses we've looked at already in this series. But I I want to look at them again, if you don't mind. In Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 11, in verse number 11 of Ephesians 4, Paul says that he gave some... Gave some spiritual talent, spiritual gifts to uh, apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists. That's me. That's the the preachers. And some as pastors. That's your elders. That's your Mitch and Jason and Rick and Rick and Dave. And and then notice teachers. Teachers. Why? Verse 12, for the equipping. Notice. The equipping of, of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Notice how God... Has teachers in the church. He wants teachers in the church. Now, I want to put that with Hebrews again. Go back to Hebrews chapter 5. For those of you who are in the Hebrews class, you, you probably are very familiar with these passages. Remember, here, the Hebrew writer wants to talk about the priesthood of Melchizedek, the mysterious Old Testament character Melchizedek, and how Jesus' priesthood is, is similar to that. But he says he couldn't talk about that with these Christians. They weren't ready to receive that kind of meaty teaching yet. And so in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11, he says concerning him concerning Melchizedek, we have much more to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. and You have come to need milk and solid and not solid food. Notice how in those passages, the Hebrew writer there is expressing disappointment. He is disappointed with the people he's writing. He's disappointed because by that time, he says, they should have grown. They should have been maturing and developing in the body of Christ. They should have been developing to the point to where they were teachers. You see, God wants Christians to be teachers. He wants Christians to be involved in the work of teaching. And I submit there are many different ways in which we all can be involved in that work. Now, one example of this is pretty obvious. is Bible classes. One avenue for teaching is teaching a Bible class. And one of the great things about this church, and I think you will agree with me when I say this, is here in this church, we are blessed to have so many wonderful and talented Bible class teachers, right? We have wonderful teachers. We have wonderful classes for for people of all ages and we have wonderful teachers, we have wonderful Christians, male and female who prepare diligently for their classes and they teach with excellence. God has blessed us as a church to have so many wonderful Bible class teachers. And if you want to be a Bible class teacher or learn how to be, to become one, go and talk to one of the shepherds. Go talk to one of the elders. I, I'm confident that they will help you become a Bible class teacher, but teaching a Bible class is not the only avenue we have as Christians to be teachers. Now it is an avenue, but it's not the only avenue. Another avenue we have to be teachers is teaching the lost, teaching the people in our little circle of life, teaching our neighbor, our co-worker our family member, our friend, someone we have a relationship with, the gospel. That is something that we can all do. And then for us parents in the room, we need to be teaching our kids. We need to be grounding and developing our children In the Word of God we need to understand what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 and that is the primary teacher of our children should not be their Bible class teacher instead it should be us it should be the father and the mother we as parents need to be teaching our children the Word of God every single day and we also as a church need to be teaching new converts I'm reminded of what Jesus said back in Matthew 28 when giving the Great Commission. I want to read this. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and in verse number 19, before he went into heaven to be with his father, he told his people, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Notice how according to Jesus, it's not enough just to initially teach people the gospel. It's not enough just to baptize people. It's not enough just to say, well, they've been baptized and they're part of the church, and we're going to put them on the church membership roll now. No, Jesus says it's not enough to do that. We also got to ground these people. We got to fortify these people. We got to establish these people in the faith. We got to continue helping them learn all that God has commanded. It is not enough to just initially convert them, it is not enough just to initially win them for the glory of God. We got to keep teaching them. We have to ground them, secure them firmly in the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. We gotta keep teaching them or they're gonna fall away. That's work that's gotta be done outside this building. We gotta teach these new converts, or the devil's gonna get them back. And what about this? What about teaching by your example? By our example. I'm going to first Timothy chapter four and I'm listening to I'm listening and reading what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy there in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and in verse number 12, there the apostle said these words, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So Paul there is writing to a preacher. He's writing to a young preacher named Timothy, and I'm also a preacher. I'm probably About Timothy's age at this time, and I'm going to tell you something. One of the great privileges and joys of my life is being a preacher. It's being a preacher, but not just being a preacher, being your preacher. Being your preacher. That is one of the great privileges and joys of my life. But let me tell you something. No sermon I ever preached from this pulpit will ever be as powerful and effective as this sermon Paul is talking about in this verse. The sermon of your example. You see, the sermon you preach and teach by your example will have far more of an impact than any sermon I could ever preach to your kids. Or to your unbelieving spouse. Or to the lost people you interact with on your job or in your community or in your family. This is true for every Christian in this room. If you are a man, if you are a young Christian, if you are a woman, if you are a sister here in this church, listen to me very carefully. While you may not be authorized, while you are not authorized by God to stand in this pulpit and preach a sermon on Sunday, please understand the teaching and preaching you give by your example every single day will have a far more lasting impact than any sermon I preach in this pulpit. The preaching and teaching you do by your example is a more powerful sermon than any sermon I could ever give on a Sunday. We all can do the work of teaching. We all can take advantage of all the different avenues God has given us to teach the people we love the word of God. But let's add to this. Let's add to the work of worshiping, the work of encouraging and the work of teaching. Let's also add the work of restoring. The work of restoring. Christians fall away from time to time, do they not? Oh, we know Christians fall away. They leave the Lord. They go back out into the world. They start living under the influence of Satan again. And the Bible tells us what to do about that kind of stuff. I'm going to a couple of different places. Second Thessalonians chapter three. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and in verse 14, Paul says, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him, so that he will be put to shame, yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him, admonish him as a brother. Let's put with that Galatians chapter 6, another great passage here, Galatians 6 and verse 1 Where Paul says in Galatians 6 and verse one, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you, too, will not be tempted. Notice here how Paul says the apostle Paul says that Christians fall away. And when they fall away, something's got to be done to try to bring them back. And let me just ask you, have you ever done that before? You you ever tried to do that before? Have you ever tried to do what Paul talks about there in that verse? If you have, if you you ever have, then you know something. You know, that's no fun, is it? That's no fun. That is not pleasant. In fact, it is one of the most unpleasant works in the church, but it is a necessary work. It, It is a. Critical work. It is a work that is given to every single Christian. And I know that because of what Paul says in verse number one again in Galatians 6. Notice this commandment to restore somebody who's caught up in their trespasses is given to who? The person who is spiritual. It's given to the person who is spiritual. Who is the person who is spiritual? Well, the person who is spiritual would include. Well, it would include the elders, and it would include deacons, and it would include preachers, and it would include Bible class teachers, but it wouldn't just include those people. You know who else it would include? You. You. You you see, you are the person Paul is talking about here. You are the person that Paul is talking about in the previous chapter when you keep this in the context. Going back to Galatians 5 verse 16, you're the person who's supposed to be walking by the spirit. Verse 18, you're the person who's supposed to be led by the spirit. Verse 22, you're the person who's supposed to be living by the fruits of the spirit. Verse 25, you're the person who's supposed to be living by the spirit. You see, the work of restoring Christians who fall away to Jesus That is given to the spiritual person and the spiritual person should be all of us. It should be every brother and every sister. It should be every person who has pledged allegiance to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. We all should be involved in the work of restoration. The question is, how do we do it? How do we do this work? Well, let me suggest this. If you want to do this work, it begins with paying attention. Paying attention, paying attention to the spiritual family that you are part of, noticing when people are here and when they are not here. Let me tell you something. When it comes to the physical members of my family, that family is made up of four people, Genesia, Sean Jeffries, Sean Michael and Faith, four people in my physical family. And if everybody is not at that dinner table every single day, guess what? I'm going to notice. I'm going to notice that. In fact, I'm going to freak out about that. I'm going to want to know what's going on. Why isn't everybody here like they're supposed to be? I'm going to do that because that's the kind of love and concern I have for my physical family. And likewise, God wants us to have the same kind of love and concern for members of this family. Members of the spiritual family, see, when it comes to members of this family, I need to be paying attention to them. I need to be noticing when they haven't shown up here in several weeks. I need to be listening very carefully to the names the elders announced to us that we got to pull back fellowship from. And I got to be doing for those people what God has called me to do for those people. I got to pray for them every single day. I got to shoot them a text. Every now and then and let them know that I am praying for them every single day. I got to put a card in the mail maybe once, maybe once a month to let them know I have not forgot about you. And I'm always willing to sit down with you and talk with you about your soul. I got to avoid making them feel comfortable, making them feel secure in their current condition. I got to keep loving these people. I got to admonish them in the Lord, as Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 15. That's a work that every Christian can do and should do. But let's add one more thing real quick in addition to these works. Let's talk about the work of welcoming. The work of welcoming our guests. Go in your Bible to one more place this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're getting getting another, another snapshot into the worship assemblies of the church at Corinth. And Paul says... In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 23, verse 23, therefore, if the whole church, like we're doing right now, if the whole church is assembled together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers notice inner, will it not say that you're mad? But if all prophesy and and an unbeliever, an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Again, so much to say about these verses. But for now, notice a principle. Well, you just notice a principle. Notice how in these verses, We learn that in the worship assemblies of the Corinthians 2,000 years ago, they had guests. They had visitors. They had people who visited their worship assemblies, and Paul wanted them to be conscious of that. Paul wanted them to understand that. Paul wanted them to realize that the things they did when they came together just didn't impact them, but it also impacted their guests. It impacted their guests so the question is what about our guests what about the people we have visiting with us even this morning and every single Sunday what are we doing about those people what are we doing for those people are we overlooking those people are we ignoring those people? Are we neglecting to make those people feel warm and welcomed? Don't misunderstand. Don't misunderstand. This is a friendly church. This is a friendly church. In fact, if you ask me, I think this is one of the friendliest churches in, in all the country. This is a very friendly church. But if we're not careful, we can find ourselves being friendly. Only to each other. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves giving attention only to each other and the little circle of people that we are comfortable with already and we neglect our guests. And so if you want to do something important every time you come to this place, serve guests, serve visitors. Put on your visitor goggles before you walk through those doors. Speak to some visitors before services. Let them know you're happy that they're here. Give them a family talk. Follow the 10-minute rule after we sing the last song. You know what the 10-minute rule is, right? The 10-minute rule is this. Instead, after we sing the last song, instead of flocking, to the same people you talk to all the time and who are your best friends and you're probably going to talk to all during the week and you're probably even going to go to lunch with them right after you get in your car instead of talking to the same people. For the first 10 minutes after we've seen that last song, go and find some guests. Shake their hand. Thank them. Invite them to come back. Get to know them better. The work of worshiping, the work of encouraging, teaching, restoring, welcoming. These are works that we all can do, right? These are critical works that we all can do. These are critical works that are just as important as anything else we've talked about for the last several months. And I hope and pray that you will drop these things down and remember them. Better yet, I hope we'll all do these things. I hope we all put these things into practice. I hope we'll all understand that it's not enough just to be a member of a church. We also got to go to work in that church. We got to go to work and do our part in the body of Christ. And my final question this morning is, are you part of the body of Christ? Are you part of the church of Christ, the church that Jesus purchased with his blood? If you are not part of the church that we can read about in the Bible and you want to be part of that church, we can help you with that this morning. If you want to have a Bible study, have a series of Bible studies, I'll be more than happy to study with you. Our elders will be more than happy to study with you. If there's anybody here this morning who wants to obey the gospel who wants to confess belief in Jesus and repent of sins and be baptized for remission of sins, we will baptize you this morning, or if you know you haven't been a good Christian, you haven't been the kind of disciple that the Lord has called you to be, if you need to repent and ask us to pray with you and pray for you, we'll be more than happy to do that this morning. If we can serve you in that way, come to the front as we stand and sing.
1: I am resolved no longer to linger Charmed by the world's delight Things that are higher Things that are nobler These have alert my sight I will hasten to Him Hasten so glad and free Jesus greatest Highest, I will come to Thee. I am resolved to follow the Savior, faithful and true each day. Heed what He saith, do what He willeth. He is the living way. Hasten so glad and free, Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to Thee. I am resolved to enter the kingdom, leaving the paths of sin. Friends may oppose me, foes may beset me, still will I enter in.
2: Please be seated. Just a few quick announcements. Two men are walking through the auditorium at this time, taking up any outstanding visitation card or any contribution from a member. If you will just raise your hand where you're sitting, ushers will come to where you are at. Well, thank you, Sean, for two very meaningful and insightful lessons this morning, and I wasn't here last Sunday, but I listened to the lessons you presented last Sunday, and brother, you are on fire. (laughs) That's all I can say. We truly have been richly fed today. Thank you, Mike, for leading us in our song service, and Greg for preparing that lead-in thought that we had for partaking of the Lord's Supper. Work Group 1, that is Rick Watling's group, Please make your way to the large classroom after our dismissal if you are uh, a member of work group one. Please continue the daily Bible reading. This week we are going to be in Acts chapter 22. That's the daily read, Acts chapter 22. Some upcoming events, the ladies' class will be next Sunday at 2 o'clock at the home of Cheryl Hastings. The elders are planning to meet next week at two o'clock here in the building uh, at that same time. Photos will also be taken for our directory next Sunday, so please take the opportunity to get a photo taken if you haven't done so, or if you desire to have an update to that photo that already exists. Also, a youth devotional for grades six through 12th is also scheduled for next Sunday at two o'clock at Brian and Sherilyn Sheely's home. As a reminder, and we'll keep this in front of you too, in five weeks, uh, the Rock and Roll Marathon is gonna occur in our neighborhood, and it kind of shuts off our access here, so our service will occur at two o'clock on that day, which is the 15th of January. We have many members, as Sean already mentioned in his lesson, are facing some significant health issues, and surgeries, and they need our prayers and our concern. Namely, just Judy Chandler, Gloria Cruz, Dwight Holden, Sharon Prince, Drew Johnson, Tammy Lorenz, and I ask that you also pray for Corinne who came forward this morning asking for her prayers as well. Many of our members are still home, sick, battling a cold, a flu, possibly COVID or a combination of all of that, the flu is definitely making a serious impact throughout the United States right now. So please take home and consult a copy of The Family Talk for other needed and requested prayers from members here. And we hope to see you here this Wednesday night at seven o'clock for further Bible study. So please let us stand now and we'll be dismissing our closing song, number 660 if you want it in the book.
1: Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go Anywhere he leads me in this world below Anywhere without him dearest joys would fade Anywhere with Jesus I am not afraid Anywhere, anywhere fear I cannot know Anywhere with Jesus I can say, safely go. Anywhere with Jesus I am not alone. Other friends may fail me, he is still my own. Though his hand may lead me o'er drearest ways, Anywhere with Jesus is a house of praise. Anywhere, anywhere, fear I cannot know. Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. Anywhere with Jesus over land and sea, Telling souls in darkness of salvation free. Ready as he summons me to go or stay. Anywhere with Jesus when he points the way. Anywhere, anywhere, fear I cannot know. Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. Anywhere with Jesus I can go to sleep. When the darkness shout round about me creep. Knowing I shall wake and nevermore to roam. Anywhere with Jesus will be home, sweet home. Anywhere, anywhere, fear I cannot know, anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. We're dismissed.